This week I get to conclude our Encounters with Christ sermon series, Encounters with Christ. We've done, this will be now our seventh message, looking predominantly at the Gospel of Luke, though there's been a few little brief overtures into, into Mark, one into Matthew, but today we will conclude by looking at Luke 19, the story of Zacchaeus, under a title of which I'm calling, Lavish Love, Encountering Christ Leaves Us Different. Lavish Love, Encountering Christ Leaves Us Different. And the thing is, when you encounter a great love, it requires a great response. Like, that's just the thing with love. When you encounter a great love and you're part of a love story in a family of origin, romantic relationships, certainly in those of us that were saved in places way outside of, of our comfort zone, being brought into a family of faith, when lavish love has been given to us, our response is to be different, to say yes, that our lives would be be different because of this radical love story. When, when love is showered upon you, the, the appropriate response is, yes, I want to love back. Now, in my dating relationship, many years ago before I later engaged and married this woman, I didn't really know how to do relationship. I didn't. And a lot of times my fear, my self-consciousness, my insecurities would govern my response. I mean, they still do, if I'm honest, a lot of times. A lot of my worst behavior is informed not by my values, but my, by my fears. And early in our dating relationship, but, you know, many months into it, that, you know, we had been pursuing building a godly relationship together. We prayed together. We'd worship God together. We would get to know each other. It just, you know, and and this was all this really good, exciting new thing. And yet I knew that my fear was governing my response to the way in which I could, fe- I could feel myself falling in love. But because of some of my past situations, I, I didn't want to allow myself to love back, if that makes sense. And so one day, you know, in a moment of, of joy and intimacy, my, my then-girlfriend, now-wife, so you know how the story ends, I'm not a total idiot, but this is an idiotic story. She looked me deep in the eyes. We've been dating many months. We've never said I love you. I was going to wait and just say this once. The remainder of my life had been hurt before. I don't want to be hurt again. And she looks deeply into my eyes. She said, Scott, David's son, I love you. You know, she said it with some gravitas. And it's like the words are communicating a response, you know, to which then I looked her in the eyes back and I said, thank you. Well, that didn't go well. Like, that just, I would have been better off being like, can I, I'll be back to you, or give me some time, I need to think about this. But the response was not what she was expecting. Now, when love has been given boldly, our opportunity is to run or to enter more deeply into it. And in these Encounters with Christ sermons that we've looked at now for six weeks, this is the seventh, we've seen over and over again this radical love story by a God who loves us. A radical love story by a God who comes to set us free. And we see Christ coming through the Gospels in a powerful way. And we see that love is a verb. To love is a verb. And I know when we say things like, Jesus loves me, it, it just kind of strikes and rings a bell of every hollow cliche we've ever heard. But we see this Christ coming to us through the Gospels, encountering us with this verb. He's climbing into boats. He's taking chains off. He's, he's healing a woman. He's kneeling in the door, dirt to hear her whole story. He, he's, he's walking up to a tree today. Like Jesus in the Gospels, it, it's love, but it's a verb. It's an action. And if we have any new moms in the room this morning? And we have a few, right? Do you love your child? You do. But it's a verb, right? What does love look like in these early years? It's a ton of work. 
I know. That's how I feel. It's, you know, it's beautiful. We love the, like the sound of the children, but the love of the needs of a child. Like, do I love the child? I do, but the needs, right? The feeding, the changing, the clothing, the, you know, and as the children age, the needs change, but they're still really big. We can love, but it calls us to response. Like we all know people in our lives that say, oh, I love you in my earthly, you know, I love, but th- their actions don't connotate love. And so we get jaded on this love word because we've seen a lot of people that throw the word around without a change in behavior. And yet the Jesus that comes to us through these encounters is this Jesus who loves radically and loves actively. So this has been the, the whole series. Like if, you, if you've missed some, this is where our app, you can download the app or you can go to our website and you can look back because there's been seven messages and all of them have been really powerful. These different encounters with Christ. The first one, seven weeks ago, we talked about Jesus healing Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And then we talked about this sunrise, sunset. That Jesus at sunset is healing the whole town. And we talked about for some of us, we need, we need activity in our faith. We need, to see, we need to start serving. We're bored. We want to pour out. We want to see God do active stuff and that Jesus is a healer. We talked about being sunset people. And then at sunrise, way before the sun comes up, the first light of dawn, Jesus is out of there for intimacy with God himself. And we talked about this balance between being sunset people and sunrise people. And for some of us, we get so busy trying to be a blessing that we need to just step into the sunrise. And just, I just need time with you, Jesus, again. We talked about that being this kind of beginning point of this encounter of Christ. Second week, we talked about Peter's call while fishing as a way to learn about our purpose. That God so wants to illuminate us that even if we're fishing, he's going to change us to do it differently. We need a new purpose. And we talked, uh, Raul preached about be- the disciples in the boat and fear and awe and what we can learn from little children. And about how often fear pulls us away from the love of God, but awe about God's power reminds us. And we talked about the demoniac, who I called Daryl, about Jesus on the other side of the lake, about the freedom of the Spirit of God to just bring freedom from the stuff that's plaguing us. And then the next week, we talked about Jairus, the father, the leader of the synagogue, and his little girl who was dying, who Jesus would later heal in that passage. We talked about the woman who was bleeding for 12 years, who just thought if she could touch Jesus, she'd be healed, and she was. And then Jesus sat and spoke with her. And how Jesus reverses the power structures. Jairus, the most powerful man in town. This woman bleeding, the least powerful. Jesus makes Jairus wait to show everyone in town that the least of these are closest to his heart. We talked about humility. We opened up the altar and we had this pretty powerful morning getting face down about getting in touch with our need for humility before Christ. And last week I preached about the 5,000 and how Jesus will always provide for us. And often we... We can go to Jesus for just the stuff that we need, the bread of life. And Jesus says, I so want to give you more than bread. I want to fill your heart. Today, we get the final message from this Encountering Christ series, Zacchaeus. This this powerful story about this little guy who hears about a big God and says, I want my life to be different. And he, he, you know, he says, Jesus, at the end of this passage in Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Salvation, verse 9, salvation has come. This is the gospel story, that we might find ourselves in the story, that we, like Zacchaeus, can have power and authority and other stuff, but it, unless we have Christ's Spirit inside of us and dwelling us, unless we receive God's lavish love for us, then our lives will be empty. And all of our life can be a response to this lavish love. This word lavish comes from the French lavash, which means to rain down. 
When we think about God's lavish love for us through the Spirit of Christ, it's literally raining on us. And just as we can't control the rain from the heavens, and we're going to learn this first person in the next seven months. If you're new to town, get ready. Here comes the deluge of God's love in the form of liquid sunshine. Like this lavishing of the Spirit upon us. That the goodness of Jesus is like love coming from the heavens, lavishing upon us. Our only response is to say yes. That we would be a church encountering Christ, saying yes. And so let's align under our big idea that life-changing encounters with Christ require three things. They kind of exhibit three things. They require desire, and then they give direction, and then they make us different from a posture of receiving salvation. So there's desire and direction and ultimately difference. Like we, we crave to be different because of who Jesus is in our life. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure exactly of what you believe about Jesus, good news. You're about to hear the whole gospel story through this person of Zacchaeus. And if you are here this morning as a follower of Jesus, maybe you need a new touch of the Spirit of God to remind you that you have been loved radically and your life is called to be lived in response. So let's look at the beginning here. Zacchaeus desires to see Jesus. He desires. And this is this element that seems to be coming throughout the scriptures, certainly throughout this series. The people that get the biggest touch of Christ seem to have the biggest desire to to experience him. Desire matters a great deal. Look at Luke 19, verses 1 through 4. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now so many details, Pop. We'll pause there. So many details when you read scripture. Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. It's a unique designation that Luke does here. He's somehow the leader of the local taxation board. And that may be because Jericho, where, they, where this scene happens, was a massive city. Archaeologists say that Jericho perhaps was one of the world's first cities and at one time was one of the world's biggest cities. So they wouldn't just like in Capernaum, like one tax collector would be fine. Not in Jericho. There would be a whole army of tax collectors. And Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. He was a man of great, a great power. And he was also a man, if you see here in your text, I'm reading out of the NIV, depending what your translation is, but the NIV says he was wealthy. Now, he's a Jew serving the Roman Empire. And how did this work? I find it super interesting, not at all accidental, that the time in all of human history with the largest human empire is when Jesus intersects the scene. There was never a bigger empire than the Romans. They controlled all of Europe and and the Near East and Northern Africa. And in the midst of that, what they would do is to conquer a land. They would come in with their military force. They would, you know, send off people to jail, anyone that would, you know, kind of actively, you know, uh, resist Roman rule, but they would leave everybody else. And they knew the way to feed the Roman war machine was to tax the people and tax them heavily. Now, they, heavily. They will also, you know, build roads and do these things. So some of the money would live in the conquered land. Some of it would flow back to Rome. But this part is interesting. What the Romans would do is they would not take you know, Barry from accounting there in Rome and send him to his, no, Barry, you stay in Rome. What they would do is they would find a Zacchaeus. They would find a person in the conquered land and they would come to them with two things that absolutely have the same ability to conquer us. They come with power and they come with money. So the Romans would come in with Zacchaeus. You're a child of Abraham. You're a Jewish person. You probably aren't real stoked that the Romans are in town, but let us make you a deal. And with enough money and enough power, a lot of us can be servants of another authority. 
so often. So the Romans came to Zacchaeus at one point. They gave him authority over other tax collectors. They, they could exert great wealth, find great wealth, because what the tax collectors would do, there was a baseline that the Romans required, but they would incentivize these t- tax collectors. Hey, if you could get a little bit of extra out of your people, you get to keep it. And so, because they knew that Barry from accounting in Rome, if he got planted into Jericho, he wouldn't know the inside stories. He wouldn't know about this guy's piggy bank. He wouldn't know that that guy's a seasonal fisherman, but he makes a little money on the side. So they would find a local and and subject them with power and money. And Zacchaeus was hated. So he he was powerful, he was wealthy, and yet he was short. And we're not sure why Luke includes this, but this is the only time in the Gospels that somebody is designated by their lack of height. Why does it matter? We don't know. And of course, anyone that grew up in the church is like, so we could sing the song. He was a wee little man and a wee little man. You know, right? Like, when's the last time you used the word wee with an extra E, you know? But we're not sure why Luke includes it, but he does include it. Like, we're supposed to see that Zacchaeus is in somehow not measuring up. We definitely know that he's hated. We'll see that in verse 7 with the people muttering. Like this guy, Jesus comes to Jericho. He comes to the New York City of first century Israel. And this is the guy he wants to be with. So Zacchaeus is in touch with his desire for something different. How do we know? Look at your Bible. To verse 4, Zacchaeus ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree. Now, anytime a person runs in the Gospels matters because in the first century, men didn't run. Boys could run, certainly, but men, with the robes they would wear, when you run, the robe would rise up, and it was a little scandalous. And so in first century Israel, in, in ancient Judaism, men didn't run. It wasn't dignified. But... Even though this little guy, Zacchaeus, is, is powerful and he's wealthy, he's hungry for something different. He runs because it's so crowded, he, he wants to see Jesus. And he, he sees this tree as an opportunity for encounter. He sees the tree as a place to elevate above the crowd. Now, last week and two weeks ago, we have this kind of narrative that has been running through this, this series about crowds. Remember like the crowds of the Jairus story, that people were crowding around Jesus, but when the woman reached out and touched Jesus in Luke 8, she was changed. Even though everyone else is touching Jesus, they don't feel anything. Why is that? The people can be crowding around him and don't have an encounter with Christ, but somebody comes hungry for Jesus and they do see an encounter with Christ. They do experience transformation. There's something in this text that's reminding us about our desire matters. That the way that we approach Christ matters. That the fact that Zacchaeus is running and climbing, we're supposed to pay attention because he's looking for something. He wanted to see. The Greek word here is zateo, that he wanted, he desired. Zateo, he didn't want to just ofeo, just see something with his eye. He wanted to look for something. Matthew would use the same verb, zateo, when, when, when Jesus would tell the parable of a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away. Will he not leave the 99 on the hills to go to look Zateo for the one who's wandered off. Same verb, Zateo. I'm not just, ah, yeah, Jesus might pass by my cafe spot. Interesting, huh? Oh, you know, miracle workers coming to town. I'll, I'll stand in a crowd for that. Those people, Ofeo, they want to see something with their eyes. Don't get changed. Last week I talked about King Herod. King Herod, who would be part of Jesus' crucifixion story, who killed John the Baptist, he also wanted to see Jesus. Look in your Bibles, Luke 9. King Herod wanted to see too. Wanting to see Jesus is not going to change your life. 
but wanting, desiring Jesus to touch the deepest parts of where you're longing, knowing that something's not right, despite the power, authority, despite what's going on, knowing something's, I'm looking for something. That desire, that zateo that Jesus says, ah, now there's something I can work with because you're hungry for me to show up. And I worry about a church that shows up even to church or to their scriptures in there. We're all fa- I'll see if Jesus has got anything to say to me. But are you hungry? Do you desire encounter with God? Because there's something about Zacchaeus' desire that pay- we're meant to pay attention to. So there, we, there's, a, there's this sycamore tree. And he sees what some people might see as an obstacle. He sees as an opportunity. Everyone around is crowding around. He can't see it. He runs to a sycamore tree. This is a sycamore tree. And what they believe is ancient Jericho. Some have said it might be even the same tree or a relative of the same tree. But this is a sycamore tree. And you see its branches make pretty good climbing. And he gets up there to climb. Now this is where desire matters a great deal. Because when you hunger to encounter God, let's just caveat you can't manufacture God coming to you you're not God so Jesus isn't waiting for you to fix yourself before he dines with you this isn't the gospel the gospel isn't that you if you climb enough trees Jesus will save you too that if you earn enough stripes that you can be in Jesus army not at all the gospel is that Jesus walks into this town and he's looking for somebody that's hungry you see it He's looking, I have, no, I, I have no doubt Jesus is looking for the crowd. And I bet he's like, I just want someone to climb that tree. And, and as soon as somebody climbs that tree that wants to see me, that's who I'm looking for. Jesus longs to fill up hungry people. You don't earn your spot at Jesus' table. But when you desire to encounter Christ, the desire makes you ready. It makes you ready. Now, for me, I was called into the ministry, and I honestly believe you're going to have a bigger impact for the kingdom of God at Boeing, in your school, in your neighborhood. In your, like, people don't care what pastors think. They, feel, they care what real people think. You're really the missionaries of this church. In my life, like, this question emerged, like, how does God's love become my motivation? I desire in my calling to know more of God's love. But what does that look like? And I felt called to enter into the ministry. And so I, 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 I'm like, I don't know what that means. I'll take a class. And so I would drive downtown Seattle to, or down by SPU to take seminary classes. And the entire drive, I was like trying to kind of weigh, why do I desire this class? Why do I feel a desire to, to have this encounter with Jesus? Why do I have this desire for God to, to maybe call me into ministry? This is crazy. But then I would take the class and I would pray over the class and then I would just trust the fruit from it. Ah, I learned something. I'll take another step. That felt good. Like for, for so many of us, the desire doesn't make us ready to be used by God, but it makes us hungry and available to be used by him. So it's not like, oh, I'm going to earn myself in my desire, but Jesus made my desire make me ready to encounter you because I just can't get past in the scriptures that hungry people get fed. And the woman who is fighting through the crowd, all these people around unchanged, she just touches his clothes, and Jesus is like, who, you know, who touched me? Contrast this story with the rich young ruler who has everything going for him in Luke 18, but he doesn't, he's not hungry. He's like, good ruler, what must I do to encounter heavenly life? And Jesus is like, oh, well, give everything you have to the poor. Like the one thing you're actually clinging to is the thing you're most scared to let go of. And he walks away sad. Not Zacchaeus. 
He has a hunger. And may we be a church that's hungry to encounter Jesus because I'm telling you, church, I'm seeing it in my personal life. I'm seeing it in the church. I'm seeing hungry people get a deeper dose of the Holy Spirit. It's been happening through this series where there's certain mornings where I'm not even exactly sure on Sunday morning like which illustration we'll use and how the service is going to go. But when we've been the most hungry for the Spirit to show up in the last seven weeks, we've had some really powerful encounters. So may you desire to experience Jesus Christ and know that you don't have to come as a fully formed disciple, but invite him into the process of longing for something different. Zacchaeus desired and Zacchaeus got to be seen by Christ. Let's look at verses 5, 6, 7, where Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and he calls him by name and he gives him a new direction. Look at the new direction, not the 90s boy band, but the new direction that Jesus looks at him and says, look at 5, 6, 7. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Jesus knows his name. Come down immediately. Jesus says, I don't want to take 10 weeks to do this. I want to change your life now. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now this is really, really interesting. Zacchaeus, in ancient Hebrew, he was a Jewish person, but he's kind of like acting like a Roman. So he, he, to all the locals, he's an outsider. At the end of the passage, Jesus will restore him. But when Jesus calls him by name, Jesus lets him live into his real identity. Zacchaeus means a person who's clean, a person who's, who's pure. And so when Jesus calls him by his name, he's no longer the short guy. He's no longer the tax collector. He's no longer the one that works for the Romans. He's a child of God again. And this is the word of Jesus that longs to speak into your life, restoring your true identity, reminding you of who he says you are, reminding you like only the Heavenly Father can, your identity is not your old relationships. Your identity is not your bank account. It's not your present relationships or or even your calling. These are all things that we kind of, we switch out for identity. Our identity is people with the breath of God in us, that he has made us his own. We're children of a most heavenly father. And Jesus says, come down, I'm going to your house. Now this is a really, really powerful thing in the first century. You've heard it said, you know, when Jesus invites people to a meal, it was basically him saying, you're part of my tribe now. You're part of the fellowship. Like, we get that. When Jesus opens his house, or when Zacchaeus opens his house to Jesus, Jesus is saying, you're the one I want to spend the day with. There'd be no bigger vote of affirmation for Jesus than to say to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. There's there's nothing else Jesus could say looking up to that man in the tree. Nothing else he could say other than, I'm coming to your house to just restore Zacchaeus' identity. And to make him believe again that he's not a ruined creature, that he has the image of God in him. In the same way, church, to make this practical for you, when you open your homes to people, when you bless people with a meal, not on their doorstep, but in your home, when you invite somebody to stay, you are being the presence of Christ to needy people. There are people in this church that are longing to be invited to somebody else's home. There are people in your neighborhood that would never come to a Sunday morning service, but they would love to have a barbecue at your house. They don't feel like they have value. They don't feel like they have meaning. They're chasing the American dream in Seattle, which feels increasingly, increasingly isolated. They're longing to know that they have goodness in them too. And when you say, will you come to my house? 
Would you even maybe stay with us if you have an open room? You're using your, your thing of, for most of us that are not homeless, our home is a thing of most material blessing. And so when you open your home to be a blessing in the presence of Christ, you're saying, God, use the most significant financial thing I have to be a blessing for people in need. The biggest differentiator right now between my friends who are homeless and my friends who have homes, the differentiator is of loss of identity. Because when you're homeless out on the street, you start to believe that you don't matter, especially in our society today. And then you're preyed upon by all sorts of outside influences and bad choices. But with a roof over your head, there becomes a place of safety and well-being. And so maybe Christ is inviting you to use your home to invite others. Because Christ looks at Zacchaeus and says, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming with you, and this is why you matter. Look at Romans 6, verse 10 through 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. Like, what powerful words. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. And so Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and he says, yeah, you had desire, but I'm going to give you a new direction. And the result in your life will be a radical difference. You're going to be different. You're going to get a new direction on how to live because my love for you, the love I will lavish on you that you'll never earn. I'm not, not just because you are good tree climbers, Zacchaeus, because of who I am, says Jesus, I'm going to give you a new direction. Look what happens in the text in verse 6. Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. I used to read that wrong. I used to read that, that personal pronoun, he welcomed him gladly. I thought it was just a continuation of Jesus who's naming him and giving him new identity and now he's restoring him gladly. But now I really believe that the end of verse 6 is Zacchaeus' response. Zacchaeus' response is when he came down, Zacchaeus at once, that he welcomed him gladly. The fruit in his life from the encounter is more joy. Look at verse 7. All the people saw this, the crowds, and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. You need to take an inventory of your life. You need this in the week ahead, friends. Is your life more often characterized? Can we pull that slide back up? Is your life more characterized by verse 6, welcomed him gladly, or verse 7, this muttering? Because nothing will destroy your faith quicker than the practice of complaint and muttering about the people in your life relationship, about your kids' inability to, to satisfy you, about your parents, about your roommates, about your work? Is your discipleship pathway mostly muttering or mostly welcoming Jesus gladly? Because there's a contrast. The one that experiences the transformation welcomes Jesus gladly. All the people that don't have the same powerful encounter, they're given over to muttering. And I've seen over and over and over again our muttering is not us commiserating and feel more well-known. We're just complaining. And when we do, we become like the nation of Israel, that though God provided for them again and again and again and again, their hearts were given over to muttering. The crowds in these encounter series have this nagging sense that Jesus isn't doing enough, and the people that are getting the most life change have the most joy and gladness. Practical step in the week ahead in your journal, in your quiet time, in your scriptures, on a jog, ask Jesus to give you more joy. And for places where you're mostly complaining, you're not bad, you're looking to have some change in life, invite Jesus into those raw spots. Invite Jesus into those places where your relationship is dissatisfied, where your kids are driving you bananas, where you're worried about the future. Invite Jesus in. 
and confess places of complaint and muttering and turn them for opportunities for more faith to grow. Do you see it? You don't have to be perfect. But when you invite Jesus into the hurt and say, Jesus, can you help my faith to grow here? Because marriage feels really hard right now. Jesus, can you help my faith to grow? Because I'm really worried about money, about, about future, about my path. Like, invite Jesus in. And may our discipleship pathways mirror Zacchaeus that we've got a new direction for more joy and less muttering. And finally, we get this, this difference, this salvation, this sozo, which is the Greek word for, for being totally saved through the sotery of the salvation of Christ. Zacchaeus is different. Jesus says, today salvation has come. Look at verses 8, 9, and 10 of Luke 19. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Four times. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. Jesus restores him into the family of faith. And then Jesus authors himself as the father of the family of faith. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is my story, says Jesus, to seek and to save the lost. And when he pays back four times, all the commentaries say that he superseded what he had to do. Typically, he, he could pay back if he stole something from another Jew, one-fifth the price. Not this guy. He's going to pay back four times, Zacchaeus does, because the, his actions show the inward change. And this is where we have to be really careful because all of our action is really just reaction to God's grace in our life. All of our love we shower back upon God and others is reaction to the love that he's lavished on us. But there's something powerful about this Zacchaeus. He doesn't make an intellectual decision. He doesn't say this four spiritual laws. He doesn't draw the bridge from like being lost. No, he just, he, he, he's, he repents and he opens his house and he opens his wallet and he has joy. And Jesus is like, he's different. Is your faith in Christ making you different? It's a hard one. We're called to live different because lavish love has been given to us internally, externally. This frees us up from false expectation, but there's this thing through Zacchaeus and all of these encounters that belief in Jesus becomes behavior. This was Daryl the demoniac. He was set free from Christ and sent on a mission back to his town. This is the woman who's healed from bleeding. She sits down with Jesus and she tells the whole story and you just know she's going to be different. And you have this encounter with Zacchaeus. He's saved. His desire is, is, is gratified by Christ. He's given a new direction and now he's different. And this is really where we want to wrap up our series that lavish love requires a lavish response for it to be real encounter. Look at 1 John verses th- uh, 1 through 6. 1 John 3. 1 John 3. This isn't as credible. If you need to be reminded of God's lavish love for you, just you can study 1 John this week. Let me read it for you. See what great love the Father has lavished. There it is on us. He's lavished on us. He's, he's made it rain down on us, says John, that we should be called children of God. We should. What a love story. That we're his children. He's, he's lavished that on us. And, and that is what we are, says John. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we know when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared and so that he might take away your sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. You've been loved lavishly, says John. 
You've been called a child of the Most High King. May our lives reflect our beliefs about Christ. May we be saying yes again and again and again to this radical love story. And may we be a church who desires to see him, that's been given a new direction and that our lives are different because of who Christ says we are. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel is not about behavior management or trying to sin less, but being so smitten by God's love for us that our life is lived in response. Lived in response. So unlike the girlfriend who says, I love you, and I said, I love you, thank you. When the time was right, I said, I want to enter fully into this love story. Some months later, we went down to Ocean Shores, and she's an Eastern Washington girl she'd never been, and we rented scooters, and we're zipping back and forth ocean shores on those big sandy beaches. And at one point, the sun is going down, and the ocean waves are breaking. And I'm like, oh, I realize that all of my, all of my lack of being able to say I love you is just my fear and my wanting to control my own life. And so the time comes, she like went way down the beach to do something, and I got a big stick, and I wrote out in these huge words, Heather, I love you, and went and got her beep beep on a scooter. We rode down, and I showed her the sand. It was a moment. It was beautiful. But what was happening there is me saying, I'm ready to stop being afraid. I want to live my life with you. I want to build a life together. And in a much, much bigger, more transformational way, Jesus loves you. He does. And some of you have known that your whole lives, and some of you are just discovering it. But may the love of God be lavished upon you. And may you desire to encounter him again and again. And may your life be lived differently because you're saying yes to this new love story in your life. Over and over again, God's love will become our motivation to be different. Because he's already called us by name. He's working within us to give us new desires so that we represent people that have encountered him, people of the encounter, loving greatly. Let's uh, pray now. Lord God, thank you so much for this church and it's hard to see and encounter you. We pray now in the moments ahead you remind us of your great love. And all God's people said, amen. I'd invite you right now to go ahead and stand where you're sitting. And as we close in song, I'm going to invite you actually to just some of us, we're just going to take a deep breath as we're going to close in song. I'd like to invite you to close your eyes. Some of us, it's been, a, it's been a great summer, a lot of activity. We've been gone from church. We're getting ready for the start of the school year. Some of us need this new encounter, this reminding of the encounter of Jesus Christ. Would you, where you're standing, would you bow your heads and pray? And the band's going to start to play some music. We're going to sing in just a moment. But I want to just invite you just to pause for a moment here. I don't know what... What brought you to church this morning? I didn't know what you're looking for. I don't know if you really desire Jesus to show up or you're just kind of here and you're kind of thinking about the day's activities. But here, right now, we want to pause. I was asked by God to remind you of his great love for you. I was asked to help you not forget. Jesus wants to remind you this morning that he sees you where you're at. He knows you calls you by name. And he's calling some of you to climb up in the tree, to get a new look for him, to show some desire again, to get hungry again to encounter him. That all of the differences we long for in our behavior start right here at the source, a desire to encounter Christ. And so with your heads bowed, where you're standing, if that's your story this morning, if you want a reminding of God's love for you, if you want to encounter him in new ways right now, would you just raise your hand 
Would you say, Jesus, yeah, I, I need a new encounter, Jesus. I want to be reminded of your great love. With our heads still bowed. God, we know this man, this was salvation. Some of us, we've been saved, but we just need to be reminded of your love. So we're going to raise our hands and keep them raised if this is you this morning. You need a fresh dose of the Holy Spirit, a reminding that you're in the family of faith. May this love become your motivation. Go ahead and put your hands down as we continue to pray. Lord God, thank you for these hungry ones with the hands raised. Would your spirit fall on them like rain? Would it be lavished upon them? But God, we pray as a church that we would desire to meet with you. You'd be calling us all in new directions, taking us away from places that are self-destructive, places of power and money and sin, places, Lord, move us away from those dead spots and move us as your people away from the crowds, up into the tree. God, we want to encounter you again. We want to see you again. And from that place, Lord, will you give us the difference we long for, people of joy, not given over to muttering, people of hope, people of longing, inviting others to help see you too. Make us a church on fire for your glory in this city. And all God's people said, amen. Let's close in song. As always, I want to remind you, there's prayer team members that are available after service to pray with you.